Well, hello there, parent friends. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are now on chapter eight of nine chapters. So we are almost to the finish line with the book that we are going through this summer called The Life-Giving Parent by Clay and Sally Clarkson. So thank you for joining us. And if you have missed some of the previous chapters, I want to encourage you to go back. Each chapter is its own unique thought, and so it is separate from each one. However, it does give us a wonderful um, overall picture of a life-giving parent because it addresses each different topic separately. And so I do want to encourage you to go back if you missed um, one of them because we have been going from chapter one to now today, which is chapter eight. Um, and it is cultivating your child's character. And so today we're going to be talking about soil and the parable of the sower. And we're going to start off with that. And in Luke 8, chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 15, it says, The seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So we start off today in Luke 8, where Jesus is proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God along the Sea of Galilee with his 12 disciples. Many people coming from the cities to hear him have walked through both wild and cultivated fields to get there. So they understand um, Jesus as he is sharing about soil. He is using parables, which we understand a parable to be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is using a very normal part of of day-to-day soil um, to share a heavenly meaning. So he goes and he starts off um, and he says, the seed is the word of God in Luke 8, 11. So he's not only talking about the Old Testament scriptures, um, but more specifically, the seed of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, a new word, from God. So the sower represents anyone who understands the message of the good news that Jesus is teaching. So he goes and he starts explaining what the four kinds of soil, or um, as we would know, the heavenly meaning of this would be the people's hearts, um, a person's heart um, in which that seed will fall. So the first kind of soil is the unbroken soil of a hard heart. So that is soil on a well-traveled path through a field where the seed lies exposed and it cannot germinate. So these people hear the word, but they cannot believe and be saved because in verse 12, it says the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So the first one is the unbroken soil of a hard heart. The second is the uncleared soil of a shallow heart. And that is soil that's not cleared of rocks to a depth of six to eight inches, which that depth would allow sufficient root growth. And so these people receive the word with joy and they believe it for a while. But when they're tempted, they fall away because they do not have a firm root. And that is is verse 13. The third kind of soil is the untilled soil of a divided heart. And that is soil that's choked with briars and thorns, leaving no room for anything else to grow. And so it brings no fruit to maturity from the word that they hear because their lives are choked 
with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And that is referencing verse 14. And then finally, the fourth kind of soil is the cultivated soil of a prepared heart. And that is the good soil. It is loosened, it is cleared, it is tilled, and it is ready to receive seed. Jesus says that these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold it fast and they bear fruit with perseverance, verse 15. So the question today, you know, we are cultivating our child's character. And that's interesting that we start off with the word cultivate, because that does kind of reference the whole soil thing. You know, if we... If we know somebody who's really good at gardening, I know I take such pleasure in going and seeing beautiful gardens. I remember this this old family friend of ours who they spent so much time and energy cultivating their backyard and their garden and their plants. And it took time. It took energy. It took money and resources to do that. But it also took good weather and water and those kind of things um, that God can provide. And, and so it took work on their end, but it also, they relied on God to help it grow. And it's very similar to this as far as parents, parenting our children, seeing them as flowers um, and seeing them as a garden to be worked, to be, to pour into our energy and, and then to see fruit and good things um, grow from it. And so how do we get our children to to be good soil? How does that happen? So Jesus says that good soil represents a person with an honest and good heart. So I guess the question of the day is how do we cultivate that in our kids? So there's two Greek words that he uses. One is kalos, which refers to something that is beautiful and praiseworthy and aesthetic goodness. And then agathos is often referring to something that is useful and beneficial. So both of these words sometimes are interchangeable in regard to their meaning, which is goodness. So, um, you know, it can look beautiful, it can look good, and then it can also be good because it's useful and beneficial. And so in real life, this preparation happens when a heart is taught to value, recognize, and respond to God's goodness in all of its expressions. So as we know, this kind of heart doesn't happen by accident. It requires intentional preparation. Life-giving parent provides the kind of preparation that will help cultivate an honest and good heart in our child, a heart attuned to God's goodness and his character. So most of what we've covered so far in this book has been about cultivating our children's character. So, for example, we've covered nurturing their spirit, guarding their heart, renewing their mind, strengthening their faith, and training their wills. Or to put in the language of this chapter, it has been about cultivating the soil of our child's heart in order that they can recognize, value, and know the goodness of God. So Christian character is the moral compass of the heart, and that is what guides our lives and our decisions in order that we would pursue goodness and excellence. And so what does that mean and how do we interpret that in regard to parenting? So if our child learns godly characteristics, character qualities, 
from us during their childhood, they will simply and hopefully and prayerfully continue to walk in those qualities um, whenever they accept Jesus as their Savior. So we start young, just like with the other things. We start young, and then they continue to walk in them when they accept Christ. So the good and godly character that we cultivate in them as children will create the good soil in their hearts that will at some point become the character of Christ when they become new creations. And that is referencing Galatians 5, and it's referencing Colossians 3. So cultivating good character in our children now will keep them on the way of life with God, which will lead them to Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Good soil prepares our children to say yes to Jesus and become more like him every day. And so that's beautiful. Um, As you as you are a life-giving parent, you learn the skills of speaking positive words of life and truth into our children, you know, to be able to tell them who they are in Christ. What is their identity? Who are they? And we need to tell ourselves this too, don't we? Because a lot of times we forget, you know, a lot of times we base our value on what we do. We base our value on not necessarily who God created us to be apart from what we do, you know, and that's, and that's grace. That's God's grace that he loves us despite our sin. He loves us despite what we do. He loves us even when we are not lovable and he accepts us when we're really not acceptable. And that's grace. And that's what we show to our children as well to show God in in a, in a, in a deeper way to them. And so There are some things that we can, um, you know, say and speak into our children's lives to help shape their identity. You know, one thing that I've learned and I've observed over this last um, year, really, is that if we don't pour into our kids their identity in Christ, then it will affect them as they continue to get older if they do not know their identity in Christ from an early age, they will they will grow into preteens and teenagers and young adults and middle-aged adults who do not know their intrinsic value as image bearers, you know, as, as um, creations of God for a good purpose. They will not ever know that. They will think that they have to be um, doing something or be a certain way or look a certain way And they will always be trying to find their value in people or in other things when it wasn't meant to be that way, when God tells us who we are in Christ. And so it is so important when they're little for us to remember to pour into them who they are. And the first statement or the first thing that they need to grasp is that they are gods, that they are gods and that we say to them, you are gods. And so the verse would, that we could, um, you know, ta- attach onto that is Psalm 100, verse 3, which says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So tell your children that they are not, not only made by God, but also that they belong to Him. 
as their creator. We we tend to say that God made everything, including you and including me, but, but do we leave off and forget to also emphasize that we are his, that we are God? So it answers that fundamental question, who am I? You know, that all kids and preteens and youth grow into and, and begin asking as they are searching for their identity. And so as we begin to share with them that God made them, you're also sharing what their maker is like, that he is loving, that he is faithful, kind, generous, safe, powerful, and so much more. So that would be one phrase to definitely pour into our kids is you are God's. You will always be God's. And the second one is you are loved. You are loved. So 1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. So tell your children that they are greatly loved by God and by you. You are loved reminds us, reminds them that they are lovable, even by themselves. If they know that God loves them, then their identities form around that understanding that they are acceptable as they are. They don't need to be something else or someone else. They simply need to learn to be who they are, just as God made them. And so you are loved is an antidote to any other negative message that they may hear. And they will hear things in culture, as we know. Our world will bombard us and them with negative messages and messages that that they are only going to be loved if they do this or if they look this way or if they own this. And we know that that is not what God's word says. And so those are really good reminders. So you are God's and you are loved are two phrases. And I know there are others that you would be able to pull from scripture. So at its most basic level, cultivating character is influencing our child's heart or that inner person to value and desire the goodness of God. Everything about him that is aesthetically good, all that is beautiful and praiseworthy, and ethically good, all that is beneficial and true. So I want to say that one more time because that was a lot. So at its most basic level, cultivating character is influencing our children's hearts or their inner person. So influencing them to value and desire God's goodness. Everything that is aesthetically good, meaning beautiful, praiseworthy, and everything that is ethically good, which would mean beneficial and true. And so as we close, there's just two two things um, to also kind of talk about more practically. And one is the joy of personality. And um, they say here that their family, even when the kids were young, they love to talk about and compare their different personalities. There was something about sharing the who, what, and why are you of personality that they found enjoyable and affirming as a family. And so they made kind of a rule that there, there was no personality type that was considered better or worse than any other. And so their rule was they were not allowed to have any critical comments. Um, and there was definitely a sense of pride of ownership for their children 
as they were able to describe and name and defend their own personality types and preferences to their siblings and to their parents. And so they used um, the Myers-Briggs, which is one of many different personality inventories. And um, and so, of course, you could do that with, with your family, and that would be quite fun. And, you, you know, knowing you as a mom or dad, you know your child and you know their tendencies and their personality. And this, this kind of just puts it on paper. Um, and of course it's, you know, it's not the law, so to speak. Um, but it gives a good, a fun way of kind of describing each person. And so the Myers-Briggs is one, but you know, the Enneagram is another popular one. There's others out there. And the kids also, um, enjoy doing one that would have animal, um, qualities, you know, such as dogs or cats or, you know, any sort of um, children's stories, characters, Winnie the Pooh, Narnia. So there's lots of different ways to, to go about learning more personalities. And and so what they did was they they would gather, you know, they set aside a night, they would put out some hot chocolate or, or treats, and then they would just celebrate the different ways that God created them and their children. And it really drew them together as a family. So um, part of the internal framework on which to cultivate good character is our children in helping them to discover their special capabilities that God has given them. And what do I mean by that? Like the skills, abilities, talents that make them unique and special. So more important than having those capabilities, though, is learning how to give them away, to teach them you know, to use them for God's glory, to serve and help and encourage others. And that's where you and I come in as a life-giving parent. So first, we need to do whatever we can to help our children develop their capabilities. Perhaps it's it's lessons, it's a class or a workshop, tools or resources that we can acquire, or even a project that they can work on. And then next, we need to encourage them to think of ways that God can use their skills and talents to minister to others. So letting our children come up with those ideas is really important and not just doing that for them, but really allowing them to think through it and how can they bless others? You know, it might be like an example of performing music at a nursing home or maybe building birdhouses for a neighbor or knitting scarves for friends or creating a a newsletter for Sunday school or playing instruments. For, for family members or friends, maybe creating a play or reading aloud to someone or even making muffins or cookies for neighbors or for shut-ins. So all of these ways will help cultivate character in their hearts. And so as we close, um, that is chapter eight and so many good thoughts and takeaways from that. And I hope that not only are we thinking about our children with this, but that we are also just internalizing it for ourselves. You know, that these are just good reminders, um, even as adults, that we need to be thinking about, you know, that it's not too late to do that for your children and for you. Um, If God has given us another day, then he's given us another opportunity to be closer to him and to point our own hearts and our kids' hearts back to Him. And it is intentional, and we have to work at it. Just like we talked about with cultivating a garden, that you have to put in the work. 
If we don't put in the work, no one is going to do that. And we know that if we as parents don't put in that work for our children when they're young, that it's it, there's um, more and more of a chance that they will not um, have that good soil in their heart because as they get older, as we know, there is that that window of opportunity when they're, you know, in the studies, it, it show, in one study that I that I read, it's saying the window of opportunity is really age seven to fourteen. No, I'm sorry, age four to fourteen. When at age four they begin to kind of begin to understand, and of course they're developmentally not where a ten year old would be or a fourteen year old would be, but they are beginning to understand stories about Jesus and and what you're teaching them. And then as they get older, if they get past that age of 14, it's not impossible. Of course it's not. God can do anything if we continue to work hard and and hand it over to him. But that is the prime window of opportunity to pour into them because they are listening. They are listening. And so God bless you as you continue in this task, Um, Deuteronomy 6, just the task of parenting and discipling your children. And I hope that this has been an encouragement to you and a good resource for you. And if you have learned something and and um, want to share, we would love to hear back from you. And also just to pass on the information to another friend or another mom or dad that you know, that you know would be encouraged by this. So God bless you and have a great day.